This is episode 425 of the AWS podcast, released on February 14, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Sam Lesher here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm, of course, joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. How are you doing? Hi, Simon. So glad to be back. It's been a while. It has been a little while since we've got it together, but we've made it happen, uh, which is pretty exciting. I do need to call out a, a, a early audio warning. I, of course, uh, recording from my uh, fabulous kitchen table here at home. Uh, I, we have a new puppy uh, called Chewy, and he's beautiful, but he also is in a bit of a moaning mood at the moment. So if you hear a little bit of background doggy noise, <laughs> my apologies. Oh, Chewy. Oh dear. Well, we have lots of uh, lots of good things to talk about today. One thing I want to start with is uh, the AWS CLI team uh, has got a new capability that they want uh, some feedback on, which is auto prompt mode. It's a new feature uh, or a new imagination of that feature. It's an improved CLI auto prompt mode. You can have a look in their GitHub issue number five six six four. They'd love to get some feedback about the implementation of that. So please take a look at that. But let's get on to. All the updates we have today, we have a, a bunch of good ones to go through. And the first one is the AWS Marketplace, and it now has support for multiple private marketplace catalogs. So this lets customers create unique sets of approved software available in the AWS Marketplace for different AWS accounts in their organization. So before you could have one, now you can have lots. And this means you can have you know different uh, groups or different teams that get access to different types of capabilities. And remember, there are over 8,000 third-party software listings in the AWS Marketplace. And so you can pick and choose the ones that you want them to use. It's awesome. It's a good launch. Moving over to the topic of analytics, we have some updates here. So Redshift has doubled their managed store quota to 128 terabytes per node, for RA 3.16 XL and RA 3.4 XL node types. Uh, so that's that's awesome. A single Redshift cluster for each size can address up to 16 petabytes, eight petabytes, and one <laughs> petabyte of data with 128 nodes. I know that's like insane, right? A petabyte of 16 data. 16 petabytes, that's crazy. <laughs> with, uh, with 128 nodes of RA 3.16 XL, 64 nodes of RA 3.4 XL and 32 nodes of RA 3.0 XL plus, respectively. That is insane. Um, That's some big, big clusters. Another quick update, right? Seriously, another quick update for Redshift that I think is pretty cool. It's They now deliver better cold query performance to three additional AWS regions. So improved cold query performance is now available in South America, Canada, and Asia Pacific regions. And with this improvement... Redshift can process queries up to two times faster when they need to be compiled. It also gives you better query performance when you create a new Redshift cluster, onboard a new workload on an existing cluster, or after a software update of an existing cluster. These performance improvements are available, of course, at no additional cost. And, of course, no action is needed for you to enable it on your cluster. So you just, you just get the query performance, which is, which is really awesome. It's my favorite kind of improvement where I have to do absolutely nothing. Right? <laughs> it's like, hey, boss, double the speed. <laughs> <laughs> Done. I didn't even have to do anything. Uh, so we have some updates here for also Glue Data Brew. It's now available in six additional AWS regions. That's US West 1, Northern California, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Mumbai, Europe Stockholm, Europe London, and then Europe Paris. 
Uh, so Glue Data Brew is now available to you if you are in those regions. And it additionally supports six additional delimiters for its datasets. So it supports the comma, the colon, the semicolon, the pipe, the tab, the caret, and the space, which uh, should give you flexibility to bring in a variety of CSV and TSV files into Data Brew for data preparation. Very nifty. Amazon Elasticsearch service has extended encryption at rest and node-to-node encryption to existing domains. So if you're hosting sensitive workloads, you can uh, now get that data encrypted using KMS. Now you can choose to bring your own master key or leverage the one provided by the service. And on an Amazon Elasticsearch service domain with encryption enabled, all data stored on the underlying file systems are encrypted, including primary and replica indices log files, memory swap files, and automated Amazon S3 snapshots. And this encryption at rest supports both EBS and instance storage. And the node-to-node encryption gives you an additional layer of security by implementing TLS for all communications between Elasticsearch service instances in a cluster. So this ensures any data you send to your Amazon Elasticsearch service domain over HTTPS remains encrypted in flight whilst it's being distributed and replicated between the nodes. And the nice thing is the lifecycle of the TLS certificates is managed by the service throughout the life of the domain so you don't have additional operational overhead because uh, having a certificate expire is never a good experience for anyone. (laughs) So it takes care of it. And a couple of quick updates for the Amazon managed streaming for Apache Kafka or MSK. Uh, It now supports the ability to change the size or family of your Apache Kafka brokers without reassigning the Apache Kafka partitions. So this means you can adjust the cluster capacity based on changes in your workloads without interrupting the IO itself, which is pretty magical and I'm pretty happy with that one. And there is also now support for Apache Kafka version 2.6.1 for both new and existing clusters. So lots of bug fixes, improvements and some good stuff there. Nice. Moving on to the topic of application integration, two quick updates here, but they're they're definitely good. Uh, Amazon SNS now supports one-minute CloudWatch metrics, uh, so you can now publish metrics at one-minute resolution to CloudWatch from SNS. Previously, metrics were published in five-minute resolution, so one minute is just even better. And of course, you know you you get this uh, at for free. No action is needed and no additional cost. So great. And then uh, SQS now supports one-minute CloudWatch metrics in the GovCloud regions. So one-minute metrics were previously supported in all of our commercial regions, and now they are supported in both of our GovCloud regions. So that's great if you are on GovCloud. Very nice. Moving on to the topic of blockchain, Amazon Managed Blockchain now supports resource tagging and tag-based access controls. So you can assign tags to networks, members, proposal, invitations, and nodes. And tags can be assigned to existing resources and to new resources at the time of creation. Now you can also define fine-grained access controls using tags and IAM policies to control access to resources and actions. So this makes it really easy to automate, manage, and control what's going on in your environment. Awesome. Moving on to the topic of business applications. I love this update. Amazon Chime SDKs for iOS and Android now support screen share. So the SDKs for iOS and Android now enable you to support screen sharing if you're using the Chime SDK in your iOS or Android apps. The support for screen share, you can do it as a second video stream in addition to the audio and the camera video stream. And screen sharing uses the same content sharing concept introduced in the Chime SDK for JavaScript. So the ones for iOS and Android are very similar. And by including screen share video in your apps, uh, you can enable users to share their screen with participants, of course, via the SDK, which is awesome. Very nice. 
Moving on to the topic of compute, lots of good things in this particular topic. Firstly, Amazon EBS local snapshots on outposts is now available. So you can now store snapshots of your Amazon EBS volumes locally on Amazon S3 on outposts which may help you meet data residency and local data processing needs. Now, EBS local snapshots on Outposts require your Outposts to be provisioned with S3 on Outposts. You can also continue to back up your EBS volumes to snapshots stored in S3 in the Atibus region. Snapshots are point-in-time copies of your data, which can be used to enable disaster recovery and to improve backup compliance. Atibus Lambda now supports Node.js 14. So you can use uh, its new features, things like top-level await, enhanced diagnostics, modifications of, of the streams API, and a revised JavaScript engine for better performance. Lambda functions written in Node.js 14 run on Amazon Linux 2, which is the latest generation of Amazon Linux. So lots of good information in the show notes about that. But the main thing is that Node.js 14 is the latest long-term support release of Node.js and will be supported for security and bug fixes until April 2023. And Lambda will automatically apply updates to the Node.js 14 managed runtime and to the Node.js 14 AWS provided base image as they become available from the Node.js community. So a good one to use. We're also happy to announce the Amazon EC2 T4G instances powered by the AWS Graviton 2 processors, along with free trials in a bunch of regions in Asia Pacific, Europe, North America, and South America. These are general purpose EC2 T4G instances that allow you to get much better performance. In fact, up to 40% better price performance over the T3 instances. These are powered by ARM-based AWS Graviton 2 processors. And the more I talk to customers about this processor type, the more excited they get as they test it out and find magic happens on their applications. They get great performance. I don't know if what you've been seeing, uh, um, Nikki, but I'm seeing some, some pretty remarkable results when people switch. That's awesome. I, I haven't gotten to try it yet, so I definitely want to give it a go. You'll have to do some speed tests. <laughs> Always. I do those with, uh, with Lambda all the time, so it'll be fun to try it with EC2. The AWS Launched Wizard now configures RHEL and SLES clustering for SAP application high availability. So that's uh, the Launch Wizard now configures Red Hat Enterprise Linux and SUSE Linux Enterprise Server clustering for high availability at the SAP application layer. Prior to this launch, Launch Wizard automated HA configuration of HANA da- databases and deployed the SAP application layer HA components, including ABAP central services and on replication server. However, you had to manually configure RHEL or SUSE for HA at the application layer. And this launch, of course, eliminates that manual work. So if that's important to you, the work is now gone magically. Moving on, Amazon ECS announced increased service quotas for task per service and services per cluster. So they've increased the default service quotas for ECS tasks per service and services per cluster. You can launch up to 5,000 tasks per service and 5,000 services per cluster, which is an increase from 2,000 each. And then ECS now supports VPC endpoint policies. So ECS now lets you attach IAM resource policies to VPC endpoints, which allows you to control access to your ECS resources from VPC endpoints and, of course, help you meet compliance and regulatory requirements. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon SES, the simple email service, now lets you assign a configuration set to an email identity. So this can be a specific email domain or individual email address. This allows rules from the configuration set to be applied to all emails sent from that email identity. Configuration sets are a grouping of rules that enable customers to publish open, 
click send delivery bounce and complaint events from sent emails. They're also used to organize sending results from IP address pools. So for example, customers can associate one pool of dedicated IP addresses for sending marketing communications and another for sending transactional emails. Very good advice to do that. Uh, So this gives you a lot more power in terms of how you can configure your environment and also helps you with tracking metrics as well. So definitely something to have a look at. Moving on to the topic of databases. Amazon Aurora now supports PostgreSQL 12. This is a new major version, which obviously by the number you can tell. This includes better index management, improved partitioning capabilities, and the ability to execute JSON path queries per SQL JSON specifications. It also enables non-deterministic collations that support case-insensitive and access-insensitive comparisons for ICU-provided collations, most common value statistics for improved query plans, creation of generated columns that compute values with an expression, and lots more cool stuff. And the good news is, if you want to try that, Amazon Aurora now supports in-place upgrades from PostgreSQL 11 to 12. So you can take advantage of that. (laughs) How magical is that? (laughs) So instead of backing up and restoring, you just uh, upgrade with a few clicks. Again, this is is one, this is the trap for young players. So so you go to the boss and say, hey, boss, um, yeah, I know we need to upgrade from 11 to 12. It's going to take me a day. Um, And then you go into the console, you press the button, you go watch a movie, come back. (laughs) Not actual advice. Not actual advice. And then you don't tell your boss, of course. So hopefully they don't listen to this podcast. (laughs) It is it is pretty amazing to me with some of these upgrade things just how fast we can do them now because I remember back in the day where this was this was a project <laughs> this was not a few clicks it was a project with lots of people so it's pretty exciting I believe it a couple of other quick updates for um, Amazon RDS for Postgres it now supports PG cron extension for scheduling database jobs our old friend cron is there anything it can't do and we also now support PG partman extension for data partitioning as well. Amazon RDS for MariaDB now supports version 10.5.8 in all regions, and this includes fixes to bugs in MariaDB 10.5.7 affecting point-in-time restore, data replication, and tables with triggers that cause database crashes and data corruption. Eek! Better update if that's a if you're running on <laughs> yeah, not not liking the sound of any of that. <laughs> yeah, that was a ten point ten five seven does not sound great. Uh, please update to ten five eight immediately to avoid database yeah. crash and data corruption. Uh, moving on, Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports TempDB on local instance store with R5D and M5D instance types. Uh, so starting today, you can launch RDS for SQL Server on EC2. R5D and EC2 M5D instance types with tempdb configured to use local instance storage. And by placing tempdb data files and log files locally, you can achieve lower read and write latencies when compared to the standard EBS-based offerings. Amazon RDS. This is actually an, an sorry, Nikki. This is actually an important one because uh, SQL Server likes its tempdb on really really fast storage. And by putting it on the uh, the NVMe SSD storage on the instance, um, it's a bit of a rocket ship. Yeah, that's awesome. I know you can do that on other instances. I just, obviously this is, you can now launch it on these instance types. Bingo. Yeah, key fact. I've done that before on, I forget which instance type, but yeah, I agree with you. It is very important. Amazon RDS for Oracle supports Oracle Application Express version 20.2. If you take advantage of 20.2, you can now do that with Amazon RDS for Oracle. Amazon Key Spaces now supports JSON syntax to help you read and write data from other systems more easily. I actually really like this one. So key spaces will help you read and write JSON documents more easily by supporting 
JSON syntax for both the insert and select operations. So when you read and write JSON data, key spaces will automatically map the attributes within a JSON document to a target table schema. And then using the built-in JSON syntax support in key spaces, you can ensure proper formatting of the JSON data by validating the structure of JSON documents against a table's schema. So you, you now get this support for JSON syntax uh, with Amazon key spaces, which is awesome. Very nice, yeah. Amazon Timestream can now be used for workloads subject to HIPAA, ISO, and PCI DSS. Now, Amazon Timestream is a fast, scalable, secure, and purpose-built time series database for application monitoring, edge and IT workloads that can scale to process trillions of time series events per day at up to 1,000 times faster than relational databases and as low as one-tenth of the cost. So it is very much a purpose-built database. So if this is the data type you're interested in, it would be worth your time to take a look at it. Moving on to the topic of developer tools, it would be rude of me to talk about developer tools. So, Nikki, <laughs> tell us about some of the updates. You were worried then, weren't you? You were like, the oh, best. Don't take my developer tools away. <laughs> you know, it's been a while since I got to do this topic, so I'm excited. Only two small updates, though, but one of them is pretty awesome. So the first one is Insights is now generally available for X-Ray. Insights helps customers proactively discover issues in applications by using anomaly detection. Uh, so it's really, really great to help you determine the root cause of an issue, identify any other services affected by the issue, and understand its overall impact on your end users. And Insights is available in all of our commercial regions, and it's just a part of X-Ray. So if you already use X-Ray, definitely take advantage of Insights. And the second one here um, is the Go version 2 SDK is now generally available. I work very closely with the Go SDK devs, and they're super excited about this launch. And I just want to call it out because I'm sure they would love your feedback, and I know how hard they worked on it. And it's you know very exciting that it finally launched. Very exciting. Moving on to the Internet of Things, new AWS IoT device client simplifies onboarding to AWS IoT Core and AWS IoT Device Management and the IoT Device Defender. So this provides a free open source and modular device side reference implementation written in C++, our old favorite, that you can compile and install on embedded Linux-based IoT devices, which means you can easily get to all those features and capabilities. Also, because it's open source, you can modify it to fit your use case, optimize it to your business needs as you move from proof of concept to production. You can get up and running nice and quick. It has a bunch of cool features. We're also happy to announce date and time functions and time zone support in AWS IT site-wise. So you can now make sure you can use uh, global time zones for use in metric and transform computations in the asset model. You can also now use date and time expressions to retrieve the current timestamp of equipment in UTC, uh, our old friend Coordinated Universal Time. Or in your local time zone, you can construct time stamps given input parameters such as year, month, day, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Um, Nikki, I think as people who have written software, we know that managing time and time zones and date timestamps is probably one of the most frustrating parts of any <laughs> development cycle. <laughs> oh, so true. And then when you have to do date math, you just want to cry. Oh, my God. Time zones are killing me. Yes. So true. Moving on to the topic of machine learning, Amazon Transcribe Medical now provides automatic protected health information or PHI identification. I say PHI, some people say FI. <laughs> Basically, Amazon Transcribe Medical is a HIPAA-eligible automatic speech recognition ASR service that makes it easy for, for developers to add speech-to-text capabilities for healthcare and life science applications. Now, it will automatically identify protected health information in your medical transcription. So this can reduce the cost, time, and effort required to identify that content through manual 
uh, processes. Now, PHI entities are labeled clearly with each output transcript, make it convenient to build additional downstream processing for a variety of purposes, such as redaction prior to text analytics. So it's very, very powerful. Very excited to talk about uh, some new launches for Amazon Lex. The Amazon Lex V2 console and APIs are available for an improved bot building experience. And now Amazon Lex is a service for building conversational interfaces into any applications and it now has an enhanced V2 management console and APIs that make it easier to build, deploy and manage bots. With the Lex V2 console and revised APIs, you can expedite your process in building virtual agents, conversational IVR systems, self-service chat bots or informational bots. Three main benefits here. First, you can add multiple languages to a single bot and manage them as a single resource through the lifecycle of building, testing and deployment. Secondly, the V2 APIs simplify versioning. The V2 Lex console and APIs provide a simplified information architecture that lets you efficiently manage your bot versions. And third, you can use new productivity features that gives you more flexibility and control of your bot design process. This includes the saving of partially completed bots, hooray, bulk upload of sample utterances and navigating via dynamic conversation flow. It's all kinds of goodness. Take a look at it. And the Amazon Lex team is also launching streaming conversation APIs for improved virtual agent conversational experiences. So in a conversation, we often pause to look up information or interrupt a speaker with an answer before they finish asking a question. Not that I would ever do that. Um, <laughs> we, are launching, <laughs> we are launching streaming conversation APIs so you can easily configure your bot to handle such pauses and interruptions that might occur in a conversation. With streaming capabilities, bot builders can quickly enhance the ability of virtual contact center agents and smart assistants. Basically, it makes it feel a bit more natural. And quick last one on this topic, Amazon Kendra now has ISO and PCI compliance. This is, of course, an intelligent search service powered by machine learning. It's a very cool way of finding stuff. And it is now PCI DSS compliant and also covered by ISO 9001, ISO 27001, ISO 27017, and ISO 27018. That's great, which is in addition to its already HIPAA compliance. Now you can use it for any of them. This is true. Nice. Moving on to the topic of management and governance, Amplify Hosting has added monitoring capabilities with CloudWatch integration. Yay, props to my team for this. <laughs> Yay, Amplify. <laughs> uh, so this uh, Amplify Hosting now allows users to monitor metrics for hosted apps in near real time. And Amplify provides a dashboard with metrics for those incoming requests, bytes downloaded, bytes uploaded, um, you know, any 400 or 500 status errors and latency. And you can create alarms in the console that send notifications when specific criteria are met. Uh, so that's awesome if you use Amplify Hosting, which I do for some of my other side projects. Moving on, AWS backup events and metrics are now available in CloudWatch. So, you know, backup adds the ability to let you monitor your backup metrics and events in CloudWatch, which enables you to centralize and automate data protection across AWS services and accounts helping you support your regulatory compliance obligations and meet business continuity goals. So you can monitor your overall AWS backup health in CloudWatch now, which means you can track all the metrics that you want. And you can now use CloudWatch events to receive notifications on AWS backup events. For example, you can use SNS or Lambda to set up event notifications to identify misconfigurations or potential threats and take corrective measures. Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics now supports Amazon API Gateway in API Blueprint. So it has added support to create canaries for your Amazon API Gateway APIs using the API Blueprint, which simplifies your canary setup time and makes it easier to monitor your API Gateway APIs. So canaries 
If you don't know, are modular lightweight scripts that you can configure to run on a schedule in order to monitor your endpoints and APIs from the outside. Uh, CloudWatch Synthetics provides blueprints to easily create canaries without writing any code. The API blueprint allows you to monitor multiple HTTP requests for REST APIs. And with the new integration of Amazon API Gateway in the API Blueprint, you can select an API Gateway API and stage from the same account and region as the Canary, or you can upload a Swagger template from API Gateway for cross-account and cross-region API monitoring. And then using the Synthetics console, you can configure the details of your API Gateway Canary, such as resource path, input query parameters, and headers, without writing a script from scratch. Oh, so much better. Very nice. So much good stuff there. And Amazon CloudWatch has been super busy. They've now added fluent bit support for container logs for from Amazon EKS and Kubernetes. There is now also one-minute granularity for all EBS volume types as well, so you can really dive deep on what's going on. Previously, only the IO2 and IO1 volume types got that. Now the other ones get that as well. Uh, also, no additional cost. Amazon CloudWatch Agent now supports macOS on Amazon EC2 Mac instances. So these are the ones that you can get on demand. So you can now get the monitoring you need. The Amazon CloudWatch Agent now also supports open telemetry APIs and SDKs. So you can use those to send data to CloudWatch and to AWS X-Ray. And this update enables the agent to receive open telemetry metrics and traces from applications and services running on EC2 and is intended for existing CloudWatch agent users who want to begin monitoring applications with open telemetry without installing or configuring multiple agents. Now, as a project of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, Open Telemetry gives you open source APIs and libraries to collect distributed traces and metrics for application monitoring. Amazon CloudWatch Application Insights now also supports Oracle database monitoring. So if you've got Oracle databases, you can now easily set up monitoring, alerting, and dashboarding for EC2 and RDS Oracle instances running on AWS. So with just a few clicks, you can understand what your enterprise databases on SQL Server, MySQL, PostgreSQL, and now Oracle are doing. And understanding what's going on is really important. And the, the automation here makes it much easier and faster to get going. That's awesome. AWS Control Tower now provides bulk account update. So this now includes the ability for you to update up to 300 accounts in a registered AWS organizational unit with a single click from the AWS Control Tower console. That's insane. <laughs> this is particularly useful in cases where you need to update your AWS Control Tower landing zone and must also update your enrolled accounts to align them to the current landing zone version. So it's a simple one-click to update up to 300 accounts. That's really awesome. AWS Control Tower now extends governance to existing organizational units in your AWS organizations. So you can now extend the Control Tower governance to existing organizational units from the console, which allows you to bring your top-level organizational units and included accounts under Control Tower governance. When you register an organizational unit, the Control Tower will perform a series of checks to ensure successful extension of governance and enrollment of accounts within the organizational unit. Resource Group's Tagging API launches the Resource ARN list parameter for the Get Resources operation. So the Get Resources operation of the Resource Group's Tagging API helps you return all the tagged or previously tagged resources located in the specific region in an AWS account. The Get Resources operation now supports the Resource ARN list parameter. And this new parameter accepts a list of up to 100 Amazon resource names and returns a list of the specified resources and the tag data attached to each. This new resource ARN list parameter lets you keep track of the tag status of the resources you care about instead of having to do multiple calls to check for each resource individually and then assemble the results. 
you can instantly check the tag status for multiple ARNs and get the results with a single call. And lastly, we've announced CDK support for AWS Chalice, which I've definitely used before. AWS Chalice is a great tool, especially if you love Python. So now it integrates with the well, CDK. Well, and and the, 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 extra, the extra juicy bit about the AWS Chalice part is the, the entire platform that the AWS podcast is published on is written in Chalice. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Scary but true. It's a good fun fact. Chalice is really cool. I, I really, really enjoyed using it when I, when I tested it out. But now it's integrated with the CDK. Uh, so you can now use, you know, the familiar decorator-based APIs of Chalice to write your application in. Basically, the CDK constructs will define your service infrastructure. So you can deploy your serverless application as a single stack using the CDK, which is awesome. That's very nice. Moving on to the topic of media services, AWS Elemental Media Live now has support for VPC outputs. So this means you can deliver live video directly to your own VPC. So for customers running specialized video workflows in their own Amazon VPC, it can now deliver that without using public IPs. Now, Media Live already supports VPC inputs for a Media Live channel. This is on the output side. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery. AWS AppMesh now supports mutual TLS authentication, which is very, very nice. This offers two-way peer authentication. Now, AWS AppMesh is a service mesh that gives you application-level networking to standardize how your services communicate and it gives you end-to-end -end visibility and options to tune for high availability of your applications. Now, mutual TLS adds a layer of security over TLS and allows your services to identify and authenticate the client that's making a connection. And so now you can use this with AWS AppMesh to automatically verify if the X509 certificate presented by a client is issued by a trusted certificate authority and if the certificate is a valid certificate. And you can also use the subject alternative name or SAN on the certificate to identify the client too. So very, very powerful. Amazon VPC customers can now customize reverse DNS for their Elastic IP addresses. So this makes it easier to set up your reverse DNS lookup for Elastic IPs, which improves your email deliverability. Now, a reverse DNS lookup for an IP address returns its domain name and is commonly used by email services to filter out spam. So this release improves your email deliverability from EC2 by enabling you to set reverse DNS lookup in just a few clicks to meet a key spam filter requirement. And another quick update, AWS Direct Connect has launched a second location in Italy. So I think um, going with our theory of that you need to travel everywhere that there is a CloudFront pop and a Direct Connect, this means you've got an additional reason to visit Milano in Italy. Yeah, when do you think is the next time I'm going to be able to get on a plane? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, realistically. Yeah, 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 good point. So this is the second Direct Connect location in Italy. Econix ML2 complements the existing CDLAN SRL in Via Caldera 21 Milano, the Italy other Italy Direct Connect location. And uh, customers in Italy can use both Milan locations to deploy location redundant connectivity. And I have to say that even just reading the locations sounds fancy. It does. <laughs> like it sounds a lot fancier than I really Melbourne miss or Sydney. It's like Milano, Caldera. <laughs> And quick final update on this topic, AWS CloudMap has updated its service level agreement to 99.95%. So this is up from 99.9%, <laughs> increasing our commitment to service availability. And what I like about this is when teams are doing this, it's because they are recording those types of uptime percentages. So it's, it's one thing to say you're going to be up. It's another thing to actually be up. So now 99.95 is the SLA. Awesome. Like overachieving. Love it. Moving on to the topic of robotics, one quick update. AWS RoboMaker now supports data upload configurations in simulation jobs. 
So this allows developers to define the type of simulation data that they want to upload, choose the upload behavior, and reliably upload the simulation data to their preferred S3 output location, which makes it easier for you to review or analyze application output generated during a simulation run or reuse artifacts. So that, that's an awesome little update for robotics. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance, you can now discover, review, and remediate unintended access to Secrets Manager secrets using IAM Access Analyzer. Okay, I love this one because I use Secrets Manager all the time. So the IAM Access Analyzer now analyzes Secrets Manager resource-based policies to help you discover secrets that can be accessed publicly or from other accounts or organizations. The Access Analyzer makes it really easy to identify and remediate unintended public cross-account or cross-organization sharing of your Secrets Manager secrets, which helps you reduce access to your secrets and, of course, adhere to security best practice of least privilege. Love this one. It's going to help me do my job better. It's a very, very cool one to stop making mistakes, <laughs> which yes. I do all the time. So it just helps you make sure that you're it, – it's like checking your math. <laughs> yes, and no better the check on security. Exactly. A couple of updates uh, for Amazon GuardDuty. Amazon GuardDuty has enhanced security incident investigation workflows through a new integration with Amazon Detective. Now, Amazon GuardDuty has added Amazon Detective hyperlink pivots to make it easy to jump from a GuardDuty security finding into a pre-populated Amazon Detective investigation experience. This is very cool. Wow. Now, Amazon GuardDuty continuously monitors for malicious or unauthorized behavior and generates security findings when such behavior is detected, which includes details about the resources, users, IPs, domains, and actors involved. Amazon Detective complements Amazon GuardDuty by organizing and retaining log and event data from sources such as AWS CloudTrail, and VPC flow logs into an analytics-driven graph model that summarizes resources, user behaviors, and associated interactions observed across a customer's enabled accounts for the last 12 months. Detective uses this data to produce tailored visualizations that summarize workload and user behavior to help customers answer questions like, what network activity has this EC2 been involved with? Or which federated user invoked APIs that are associated with this security finding? without having to organize any data or develop, configure, or tune their own queries and algorithms. These visualizations provide the details, context, and guidance that help security analysts quickly determine the nature and extent of issues identified by Amazon GuardDuty or similar security solutions. This is all kinds of cool because that whole process takes a long time if you're doing it yourself and the ability to just go clickety-click and you get the answers is pretty amazing. And reminder, if you don't have Amazon GuardDuty turned on, go turn it on now. And if you needed more reason to, it now has introduced machine learning domain reputation model to expand threat detection and improve accuracy. So this can categorize previously unseen domains as highly likely to be malicious or benign based upon their behavioral characteristics. GuardDuty uses this new capability to alert customers when an EC2 instance in their AWS environment is communicating with a domain identified as malicious and to improve the accuracy of existing domain-based threat detections. So this will analyze domain requests based on behavioral characteristics such as popularity, history, and whether they are associated with known malicious or cryptocurrency-related domains and IPs. There are now four new domain reputation finding types in our existing or growing library, I should say. You have uh, based on malicious domain request, abused domain request, suspicious domain request, and Bitcoin domain request as well. So this is a great improvement and again, <laughs> friendly reminder, turn on Guard Duty. There is a 30-day free trial with a single click. I recommend you give it a go. You'll be amazed what it does. Wow, it's really cool. 
Amazon Detective has launched a few things alongside Guard Duty now. Uh, Amazon Detective has enhanced IP address analytics. So it now provides IP address analytics, enabling faster security investigations. So you can now answer questions about a specific IP address, such as how long has this IP address been interacting with the resources in my accounts? Which of my EC2 instances did this IP address communicate with? What were the data volumes exchanged with this IP address and which ports did the communication occur on? or which users and roles invoked API operations from this IP address. And then, of course, by providing answers to these questions, Detective empowers security analysts to quickly determine IP address behavior and diagnose security instance. Once enabled, Detective will automatically and cost-effectively process all VPC flow records and cloud trail management events across the enabled accounts, collating this data by observed resources such as an IP address. Security analysts can then quickly visualize and examine aggregations of an IP address's network and API activity, as well as its resource interactions in Detective. These details can be accessed either by searching for an IP address that needs to be investigated or by traversing the, to the IP address details as part of a security investigation that is being conducted in Detective for resources that may have interacted with this IP address. And when viewing this IP address details, Detective now enables security analysts to examine the actual users and roles that invoked API operations from the IP address, and they can also use Detective to examine a visual summary of inbound and outbound network traffic patterns where the IP has been involved and drill down to explore the details for interactions between the IP address and EC2 instances across covered accounts. So these new capabilities will help simplify security analysis for your security and operations team by enabling a quick assessment of an IP address's activity across all enabled AWS accounts and resources. And instead of exporting, storing, and analyzes VPC flow and CloudTrail data in a custom or third-party tool, you can just use Amazon Detective to do the heavy lifting for you and, you know, get answers to your investigative questions. Amazon Detective has also introduced a new resource summary homepage, which provides a dashboard of user and resource behavior that helps you visualize and investigate trends that may have led to security issues. For example, you can use the dashboard to highlight users making the most frequent, successful, or failed control plane operations, determine security principles making API calls from previously unseen geographies, and identify EC2 instances producing unusual network traffic. The new resources summary homepage provides interactive panels of information so that you can sort, select, and expand to identify resources of interest. Each resource comes with a behavioral profile page that allows you to review deeper insights and summaries extracted from up to 12 months of data to investigate activities such as users and IPs that have interacted with a given resource and the specific API calls made to it. That is awesome. So much good security goodness coming in. Amazon Macy announces a slew of new capabilities, including support for cross-account sensitive data discovery, scanning by Amazon S3 object prefix, improved pre-scan cost estimation and added location details in findings. So lots of improvements there. And the AWS Security Hub adds one new integration globally and adds five new integrations to AWS GovCloud. So this is now integrated with Cloud Storage Security Antivirus for Amazon S3. And Cloud Storage Security uses the AWS Security Findings Format, ASFF, to find send new findings to the Security Hub. And there are also a bunch of other really useful integrations available to you as well. AWS Shield Advanced now provides mitigation metrics and network traffic timelines. So this now displays additional details for events detected on protected resources. This also includes details about the actions that were automatically taken to mitigate DDoS attacks. And you can use this information to more easily evaluate your applications when an unexpected increase in traffic is detected by Shield Advanced 
and better understand what actions were taken by Shield Advance to protect your availability. The new metrics provide detailed event information, such as the detected attack vector and mitigation pass and drop metrics. You can view traffic on dimensions like protocol, destination port, source IP, source ASN, and TCP flags. So this is really useful for investigation. And finally, AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority now supports additional certificate customization. So this is useful for meeting additional use cases such as identity certificates, including smart card certificates. So customers can now include certificate attributes via API calls at the time of issuance, in addition to inclusion in the certificate signing request or the CSR. Additionally, with this launch, customers can configure the certificate start date and time to account for clock skew and other situations in which IoT and other devices reset to a specific date in the past when they lose power. Again, we're coming back to the theory of dates and times, Nikki. It's a, it's a nightmare out there. <laughs> it is. It is. We're always trying to fix it as engineers try to make yeah. it better. Uh, moving on to the topic of storage, Amazon S3 now supports AWS Private Link. So you can now get direct access to S3 via a private endpoint within your VPC, which eliminates the need to use public IPs, configure firewall rules, or configure an internet gateway to access S3 from on-prem. Amazon S3 Batch Operations has added support for delete object tagging. So you can now perform S3 delete object tagging operations using the S3 Batch Operations to delete object tags across many objects with, of course, a single request or a few clicks in the console. And S3 Batch Operations obviously lets you perform repetitive or bulk actions like copying objects or replacing tag sets across billions of objects. So you now have the delete object tagging available to you as a part of batch. Amazon Elastic File System triples read throughput, so it now allows you to drive up to three times higher read throughput on your file system. For example, bursting mode file systems now provide 300 megabytes per second of bursting read throughput or 300 megabytes per terabyte of data stored in Amazon EFS standard, whichever is higher. If you have configured one gigabyte per second of provision throughput, your application can now drive up to three gigabytes per second for read operations without any application or configuration changes. The data is just getting bigger and the, the performance is just getting faster. <laughs> it, it, well, that's the thing is that uh, the, the throughput increase is automatically enabled for all file systems at no additional cost. So uh, this is a great example of kind of the, the, the storage capabilities you're relying on evolving as the storage demand uh, changes and this is a big difference from the old days again Simon with these old day stories of you know ship in the new storage array and have to upgrade the drives and have a whole lot of discussions about caching and raid layouts it just happens magically in the background i love those stories <laughs> i know i can tell <laughs> uh, and our last uh, couple of announcements amazon fsx now supports fips 140-2 validated endpoints so if you're running that requirement you now have that access to you, this is a US and Canadian government standard that specifies the security requirements for cryptographic modules that protect sensitive information. And we're now happy to announce three new digital courses for Amazon S3. These are online courses and self-placed labs. Uh, getting started with Amazon Simple Storage Service, Amazon Simple Storage Service Storage Classes Deep Dive, and Auditing Amazon Simple Storage Service Security. There are a lot of S's in those names. Uh, so Say it three <laughs> times fast. Pretty well. Yeah, no. <laughs> lots of lots of cool updates there, Nikki. There's there's sort of something there for everyone, I think. That was that was definitely a good set of updates there. So, how do people uh, reach out to you in the modern fashion? Yes, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter username is knee like your knee and a key twenty three. So that's K N E E K E Y 
23. I answer all of my Twitter DMs. So please feel free to give us feedback uh, either through my DMs or some other method as there's plenty of methods to reach us these days. There are lots of ways and the other ways is via email. Remember that thing? podcast <laughs> at amazon.com is the place to do that. And uh, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep on building.